Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and my favorite way to buy and sell tickets to sporting events, concerts, and whatever else you want to go to. With the SeatGeek mobile app, you can quickly and easily buy tickets with just two taps and have your tickets delivered straight to your phone to enter the event. If you can't make the event, SeatGeek now lets you transfer tickets to your friends or post your tickets for sale all from your phone. As a special offer to Channel 33 listeners, SeatGeek is giving $20 back off your first purchase with the code BSPN. To get $20 back on your first SeatGeek purchase, download the SeatGeek app today and enter BSPN. Today's episode is also brought to you by Carved. Carved handcrafts real wood phone cases and other mobile accessories. If you're like most people, you're using some cheap case you picked up when you bought your phone. Or you've got your phone wrapped in some ridiculous Kevlar tank version of a case that doesn't even fit in your pocket. With a Carved case, you can still protect your phone while also expressing your own creative and fashion sense. Carved is excited to launch its newest product, the Satellite Series. I got one. It's really awesome. I got one that's like walnut. Uh, With the Satellite Series, you pick out a unique design from your hundreds of -of one-of-a-kind wood swatches and you pick out your device and now you've got a case that's totally unique to you uh these aren't mass produced me too cases that the other guys sell you're getting a case that is totally and completely custom made to you and right now if you go to carve.com and enter promo code bspn you'll save 10 percent off your next purchase that's carve.com promo code bspn this episode of channel 33 is also sponsored by loot crate now you can showcase your geek chic style with Level Up, a monthly mystery apparel subscription from Loot Crate. You can get two different pairs of high-quality socks, one to two fashionable accessories, or a wearable item like a long-sleeve shirt or lounge pants. Every month, Loot Crate basically gives you a box of cool stuff related to some interest you have in pop culture. Uh, you can, you know, each month is a theme inspired by all of your favorite pop culture brands, from Star Wars to Doctor Who to Fallout 4, and it often contains high-quality exclusives. So you go to LootCrate.com slash Channel 33, that's LootCrate.com slash CH33 to learn more. Use promo code CH33 to save 10%. This month's theme is Galaxy with Star Wars items perfect for the Jedi, Padawan, Rebel, or any serious Star Wars fan in your life. I need sports to have to play the run. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch on the Channel 33 Podcast Network. My name is Chris Ryan and I am joined in the studio from a galaxy far, far away. Andy Greenwald! Still here! I feel like I kind of stumbled over the Star Wars intro, but it's always on my mind right now. I'm I'm officially on my Twitter blackout. It's Monday night. Yeah. We are recording from an undisclosed location in Los Angeles, and right now, like, Ben Carson could be taking shots at me on Twitter, and people would be like, oh, Ben Carson's got your name in your mouth, in his mouth, and I wouldn't know, because I'm off Twitter. I don't know for how long. I'm not seeing Star Wars until next Monday, but this is the subject of our of our in and out. There's no other subject, Andy. Yeah, uh, you know, we're talking about in and out of Star Wars: Force Awakens. Just a few parsecs from us right now. I hope that we have so many just crazy, funny Star Wars vocab drops that's, in this. That's this literally segment. all I got. I yeah. thought you'd let me get away with parsecs. That one. Um, the premiere is happening right now. Yeah, here in here in Los Angeles. Yeah, half so, of Hollywood is shut down so that they can show it at the El Capitan and the. And the Chinese, the man's Chinese theater. We're going to go all in and out on this. We're going to talk about our excitement levels, what we're bringing into this, the baggage we're carrying with us. But I, you know, I think you hit on something worth talking about right away, which is this might be a tipping point in our relationship to spoilers and Absolutely. social media. Um, our, well, he's a friend of our, our various pods, Gerard Way, used to be My Chemical Romance, tweeted. I think yesterday or over the weekend, he wrote like, hey, everyone, just found out my schedule changed, so I'm not able to go to the premiere on Monday, so I will not be on Twitter again until January. Yeah. Like, this is this is a thing. That's It's definitely an issue. It's like, I know that tonight the critics, like, critics will see it. There is an embargo that will get broken tonight, like, 100%. What is the embargo? So we're recording Monday. This I think the embargo Tuesday. is Thursday night, but I'm not positive. Right. But that doesn't even matter because it's getting broken tonight. Somebody's like, yes, because the whatever no is in it for the first person who's like my Star Wars take, yeah, and especially the first person who might be like, something happens, yes. which would be insane and suck. What, what if someone is like, yo, for real though, the Force wakes up. <laughs> it stays woke. It stays woke. Fifteen. <laughs> um, By the way, who in the room? Is someone a bad robot? Was like, love it. JJ loved the title. Love everything about it. Love the imagery. Just a pitch. What about Star Wars? Stay woke. Um, I'm sure that there is going to be like some parody of it that's a, that's it's named after that. But like, look tonight, there's gonna they're gonna start talking about this now. 
if you're like into like going like a website called like Star Wars News or Star Wars Rumors or Never whatever those that. sites are, like uh-huh. there's been stuff out on the streets for a long time. We're not going to talk about it. No. Nope. And I had my idea at the first, my first idea was like about a year ago when this started really coming together. I was yeah. like, I mean, I, I don't care. I'm going to find out everything I can about Star Wars. You said that, yeah, I think, I was on like, one of I'm our gonna shows. Be, I'm going to be the dream catcher of the awakening <laughs> of the Force. Like, I'm going to be so in yeah. on in, on the inside of these of these plot developments and whatever they're going to do, who these di- various actors are going to play. And then when I saw the first trailer, I was like, That's, that would be so stupid. Yes, because I think that the thing that we both felt, and we talked about this on the old show, was just like, if we could recreate, not even for the full running time of the film, but just intermittently, the feeling that we all got, all us old heads, yeah. got f- just from that opening shot of the trailer of the you know the immensity of that almost tactile, real-looking star destroyer yes. crash in the desert, and the way the music sounded and the way Tatooine looked, like that was a legitimate. That's chills. That was a chills moment because he was capturing exactly what we loved about the original movies, and we, it's. That stuff is, you know, I'm as cynical about this stuff as anyone, um, but those actual moments of being emotionally moved and engaged by mass culture on this scale, they're few and far between, so you kind of want to preserve it. Yeah, I was surprised that, I mean, I'm not surprised because it's like a huge like investment for the Disney company and like so that there's, there's going to be, yeah, it needs to do certain things, but I was surprised that even as of last week there was still like this ad from Chinese television that has even more footage and there was like three or four trailers yeah. and there's lots of television spots and there are some really like eye-opening uh, shots that were in some of those television spots. Did you watch them? I did not watch them. I watched one that I will say had a lot of combat. You know, I don't, mm. I'm not trying to be like like weird about mm. this. Like it's like there's combat. They, they had some fight and fighting in Star Wars. Um, it's in the name, man. It is. They're wars. There <laughs> yeah. were actually weren't that many wars in the other ones, you know? Yeah. So I was kind of hoping that there would be this weird, like, J.J. Abrams has always been somebody who's been very meticulous about how he guards the plot developments of his stories, sometimes to a fault, like with the the, the, the con story in Star Trek Two. Sorry if you haven't seen. The, the degree to which they obscured it actually ended up affecting the movie negatively because the movie felt right. like it was tricking us when right. it wasn't. The reveal was not worth the expectation. And this is the relationship between these modern blockbusters and the hype machine that props them up, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like Benedict Cumberbatch is going to do 200 interviews before Star Trek. Is it Beyond Darkness? What's it called? Well, he's not in it. Yeah, he is. Cumberbatch is in it? Is in the second Star Trek? Oh, I thought you meant the new one that the trailer dropped today. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not talking about that. Idris is Idris is the villain in this one, and is not he? in the trailer. Did you see the trailer? I, I did. I saw that they played sabotage. I was just like, this this looks like you cut together clips from an old older Star Wars movies <laughs> and put Beastie Boys over Sorry, it. But anyway, Bennett, you're right. Cumberbatch was in the uh, Into Darkness. Yeah, and that guy has to do 200 interviews leading up to Star Trek coming out, and then so he's just going to get asked in every single one of them, "Are you con? Are you con? Yeah. By the way, that's my new go to question is, when I'm doing my con? podcast. Yeah. Yo, you should ask Trevor Noah that. I kind of botched that. He probably would have had a good answer. Um, it would have been cool if... I, it would have been an interesting experiment to see how much they could have held back on this. Held back information, held back footage, and really tried to preserve the... You walk into the theater well, blind. But you know, like, but, in, I mean, but in this world that we live in, yeah. they did the most of that that we have seen in a long time. You know, mm-hmm. They have held back a lot. I think... And I think that's smart. So let's 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 talk about just various expectation levels because uh, uh, let me give you some some of my thoughts then you can you, you can, I want them you could you can turn up the flame okay. because i think you have some you've said some things to me over the last few days that suggest you're pretty you're pretty brolic about this <laughs> um my feeling is 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 this the movie is going to be greeted really really well for so many they have so many things going for it like I know that some of the narrative over the last few days and in the 60 minutes thing that I didn't see but I read about because I don't know why but um, was thanks, basically thanks 2015 yeah I know but it was basically like you know as, as you alluded to they paid 4 billion dollars for this so there's a lot of pressure riding on this mm-hmm. film let me just say right now I don't think that's entirely the case because just by being a Star Wars movie that has managed the goodwill well enough 
it's already going to be the biggest movie of the you know this year or next year. The question is, the pressure is actually whether it's going to live up to a long-term legacy, which yeah, obviously the like, last trilogy didn't. Yeah, like, are they going to get didn't. 10 to 15 years of movies out of Right, this so that's really the bigger thing. This right. trilogy is fine. This movie is fine. But is this the right launching point for the next 20 years of a hot IP, interstellar right. IP? Um, they've also done the great job because Lucas isn't a part of it. And that's sort of sad for my man George. Mm-hmm. I mean, $4 billion No, it's definitely sad. sad for him. He's not, he does not, I mean, he hasn't sounded, but, I guess he's just like, he just is real, but like. But that's why everyone's happy for the first, you know, because it feels like a, a relatively fresh start. It also, though, the what they've done in the trailers and in all the press they've done is created this warmth that I think hot IP usually lacks, but mm-hmm. also the Star Wars movies in general have not evinced in the present tense, but it's the warmth that we carry for them from our childhood. Like, this idea of, you know, just like, getting together in the desert and making this movie about yeah. about about younger characters, you know, not like, what were they, I mean, they were, they were tax collectors in the second trilogy. That was what's so depressing about it. This is a movie about space knights. Right. What could be more romantic than that? And, and the first all, time we I saw mean, them, like, they, they were IRS agents. fresh-faced crop of actors to like work with rather than like I'm not that there would be anything wrong with like Channing Tatum being in a Star Wars movie but I think that it's really exciting that it's Boyega and that it's you know Driver and that it's Oscar Isaac and Daisy Ridley this is the thing that I also wanted to say like and I felt this way about Ant-Man, although obviously it was a different in a different direction. If you you list the cast of this movie, I want to see this movie. Yeah. Regardless of whether yeah, it's yeah. a Star Wars it, it, movie it, or not. Yeah, yeah. We did and see that, an ex machina, yeah. And that is yeah, and that is but that is really and truly smart. There are wonderful, wonderful people in it. And, you know, this seems sort of like um you can make this argument in a way that sounds sort of rote like PC box checking, but I don't feel this way at all. It is still kind of exhilarating and invigorating to see different faces at the front of the franchise. Yeah. So John Boyega as a young black actor being the face of this franchise, the ascent from everything we've heard, and I don't think this is a spoiler, uh, Daisy Ridley's character Ray is the 1A star of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. Yeah. And it's not just cool for rep- issues of representation, it's cool because that's potentially a story we haven't seen before. So I'm excited about that. I'm ex- I think it's going to be a good time, and that's actually not that small of a thing for a tentpole movie in 2015 you though i feel like you're a little hyper uh i'm 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 just i here's here's what i think i've i've distilled this to is that you mentioned ant-man this is the first blockbuster that's come out in a really long time where there it's not basically trying to execute a storyline that's already been mapped out and some other like, yeah like 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 relate an origin story yeah or just basically like you know we're gonna do uh, the age of apocalypse so we're gonna do you know captain american civil war we're gonna do spider-man super we're gonna do a story that was already yeah it's, in one it's available and, and um we're gonna basically faithfully yet you know with with a lot more hollywood polish like do a story that has been and i think that that was also a problem with the prequels aside from all the cgi and jar jar and and dense like Imperial oh, just, just Senate like, mo- parliamentary tactics. Yo, those tri- that, that prequel is just racist Muppets. Yeah. That's what that prequel was. Um, can I, sidebar, my favorite bit of like sort of pregame commentary that's happened on this Star Wars stuff is that um, there's a Reddit thread about how it's a theory that Jar Jar Binks is actually like a Sith Lord <laughs> and was like a double agent of some sort yes. in the first prequels and that will, he will be like the main character of the new Yo, films what if jar jar is but, actually like yeah like david chang uh read like read that theory and he was like this is this is like i think he said this is fairly convincing but he was like if this is true i am walking out of momofuku <laughs> really <laughs> yeah no but what here's something to suggest right so like a lot of the criticism about jar jar binks was that he was kind of step and fetchity which yeah, right. he was what if jar jar binks was like steven in django <laughs> Do you understand? Like, what if after that first trilogy, like, he dropped the mask and, like, cocked the shotgun and just, like, let it all go? But the reason, I think that one of the reasons why I'm so excited for this thing in particular is because unlike the prequels, unlike Marvel and, like, DC, yeah. this is a sort of sci-fi, you know, fanboy epic that I can get behind because I actually have no idea what's going to happen. And I've just, that's becoming increasingly more important to me. I don't know why. Like, yeah. I think that, I think that, I'm really I've if this year has been about anything it's been becoming disappointed with things that seem to just fall into a, a predictable rhythm but really enjoying things that shatter that rhythm uh-huh um yeah so I I just I I can't really I'm so excited to see this I'm sure that by 
some way or somehow it's going to get sort of spoiled or ruined for me because I'm not going to see it until next Monday. Yeah, you're doomed. Um, yeah, but I mean, um, I'm sure you'll ruin it for me. I can't wait to ruin it for you. <laughs> a couple, couple points. Dude, about not this. spoiling. Just want to say Jar Jar. Just like, just <laughs> quick note, side note. Um, it's funny, like, because we definitely would like there to be original stories told yeah um in movies in general um but you and you think like oh well you know the business can't get more cynical about recycling ip or searching for it or whatever Mm -hmm. but then you also think just just purely from a business perspective which is how i begin every thought like (laughs) that's just what i'm about yeah um it's actually kind of jaw-dropping and insane that this has essentially laid dormant for what, uh, 12 years or how many years it's been since the last uh, since the the third episode three yeah wasn't that 2000 and was it s- well the first one, it was 99 02 and 05 so it's been 10 years yeah. essentially which is crazy in the same way that you know i didn't see jurassic world i don't have any interest in seeing jurassic world but like the one thing that all children be- are obsessed with is dinosaurs and yeah. there was existing franchise about well, dinosaurs probably, and they were like we just won't visit that for 20 years it was i think that there was a degree to which star wars was almost a distressed asset after a while because lucas was attached to it and because if and they, you bought that's a good point yeah and i think that people i mean i i'm just completely speculating here but i imagine that there was a degree to which when lucas was a little younger that he would be the the tax you paid was that Lucas was going to be deeply involved. Mm-hmm. And I think now he was probably just like, the kind of movies I want to make don't go to the theaters anymore. I'm sure he's actually been working on weird experimental stuff. Has he, though? I, I also he feel claims. like he's, he's 71 and he has $5 billion. Like, just go to Positano and think about pasta. You, you know say I mean? that, but like, you know, I'm sure that that guy has like mixed emotions about... Oh, I'm sure he does. ...about I, like his I, legacy I, is going to be, he directed the first Star Wars movie and oversaw the creation of modern blockbusters, yeah. essentially. And then... But he won't be satisfied. ...almost steered the franchise into the dirt with a set of prequels. With a set of very personal, yeah. for whatever reasons, because he was angry about paying taxes. Um, yeah, that, that that is a good point. And I read a thing today, so, by the way... Who has had a more meteoric return to return to fame in 2015 than Larry Kasdan? Yeah, right. Last time I know, he's like having Steve Martin piss himself in Grand Canyon. <laughs> I know he's like he's like, look, there are a lot of more stories to tell in Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon expanded universe yeah. of like distress. Talk about distress, ass, distressed yuppies. <laughs> That's actually you know, Grand Canyon is kind of the father of the modern cable half hour. Grand Canyon yeah. essentially is the ur text of like togetherness. It's OG transparent. <laughs> you know, it kind of is. Yeah. So Larry Kazan is a visionary. Now yeah. that I'm realizing it. But so Larry Kazan, you know, co-wrote Empire and Turn of the Jedi, and then JJ brought him back. If they they basically so yeah, this, Michael this, this ties Art, into who the wrote story. Toy so, Story was the first screenwriter, and then JJ Abrams and Lawrence Kazan came came in and, and, and rewrote it. Yeah. yeah, and Art gets credit, but he I think his script was mostly tossed. But the article I read today, so Kasdan gave an interview to Vulture mm-hmm. that I read today, and what he says is that he was brought in when George, George, my man George, was still involved. Right. So essentially, there was a trend. There was a period where Lucasfilm was still developing and developing, and he was expressing, he was sketching out his plan for a new trilogy. And Kathleen Kennedy, who's head of Lucasfilm, was there at Lucasfilm already. And Kazan came in and met with them, and they had things on their big board like Han Solo. Was she movie. was she head of this is silly, but was she head of Lucasfilm or was she head of her? Was she brought in she when went, Disney she had bought been, Lucasfilm? This is what I didn't understand. I thought that they brought her in to run Lucasfilm, but it suggests that there was a moment in between the eras oh. where she was there and George was there. Lucas okay. was there, and basically Kazan came in and met with them, thinking that that's who he'd be working with. And then three weeks later, they were like, "Oh, by the way, we're selling to Disney, and I'm retired." Or George, George Lucas had said I was retiring, but I, you come in and see our, what we're doing. So that's sort of interesting to me that there was an overlapping period where Lucas was at least involved in the resurrection of this franchise yeah. to whatever degree. But he may have been doing it because he was prepping for the, the giant sale. But um, but yeah, so I, I don't remember where I was going with this. But 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 Kasdan, Kasdan back. But this is also part of the the J.J. Abrams. You said n- nobody's had a bigger year than Larry Kasdan. Then you talked about a movie that came out like 15 years ago. <laughs> Twenty. That's a, that's a 23 year old movie, Grand Canyon. I just mean that like this is part of J.J. Abrams' genius and why he was the right person to shepherd this because yeah. that's really what it is. He's coaching it up. He's managing things. You know, he, this is an MBA move, not an MFA move, because he is the guy who is the. They all trust him. He's good at ideas. He's good at big pictures. And I think, and I mean this quite genuinely, he is good at emotionally connecting the dots between people's warm nostalgia and where it should go going forward. So it's so so that's so in addition to like you know getting rid of a lot of CGI and do building stuff, 
that's hiring Larry Kasdan to like connect the dots. I love that you're calling him Larry. And the hope is, we're all you know. It's I'm in Hollywood right now. This is an industry town. Yeah. Um, the hope is, and I think we were talking about this. You and I were talking about this last night. That Ryan Johnson, who's doing the second one. It's a, that's kind of an interesting choice because he's a more visually dynamic director. People know him from Breaking Bad and from um, well, he's the perfect Looper. He's the perfect guy to do the Empire one. Right? If that if they're following, which there's no yeah. reason to say that they're not doing. Sure, that I, so I think that what you're talking about, J.J. Abrams, is exactly right. The Shepherd. I don't think that anyone is like. What's your favorite J.J. Abrams film or the cinema but, of J.J. Abrams? That's the crazy thing about him. He's the most powerful person in Hollywood right now. He's yeah. trusted by all these companies to take care of all this sweet, burning hot IP. He's never made a good movie. He's made fine movies. Yeah. The first half of Super 8 is You know is what he great. makes really good one? He makes really good trailers. And he, he makes really good... He yeah. creates really good feelings around movies. And I remember some of his movies more fondly than they actually... Then I actually you, enjoyed. You're them. all about Cloverfield, right? Well, I mean, we we wrote a bunch of stuff about Tom Cruise at Grantland, and I remember going back in my mind, being like, "Yeah, MI three is just that Philip Seymour Hoffman triple double game, and it's so good." And yeah. you go back and watch it; it's it makes no incomprehensible. Sense. It makes no. But sense. There's like two or three really good things in there, and there's a lot of good ideas. They're always you know, good ideas. It's cool, but uh, I think that I think that it'll, there will be something in Star Wars: Force Awakens where you're like, "What the." fuck are we talking about here and it's going to be some bad jag of a plot line and then there's going to be a lot of scenes that really burn your eyebrows off and are great yeah and there's probably going to be some look it's new people it's new characters it's a new story i'm just so excited for that part about it i always loved the world i had dagobah i had hoth you know what i mean, oh, like, you mean the, the, i loved like the play sets yeah and yeah, i loved like sweeping all the main characters off and making like these other like like uh what was this the the, the homie who uh sh- shoots swamp rats swamp rats you mean bigs yeah like, bigs yeah. bigs and wedge yeah i always like the continuing adventures of bigs and wedge did you ever like 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 zip yourself up into a sleeping bag and pretend it was a tauntaun carcass yeah man i mean who did an american male Look, 38 years old this is this I is i wanted to like i thought it would be fun we could do a little um just back in the day, so I, did I tell you the story on this podcast? About, Wait, can I ask you really quick? What's, yeah. what's your favorite Star Wars climate? Climate? Yeah, Dagobah, Hoth, Tatooine. You know where I kind of want to chill out a little bit? Huh. Cloud City. Yeah, Cloud City seems kind of it seems kind of cool. First of all, and that I mean that like, literally. That like, seems temp- like the Dubai of Star Wars. Yeah, it's like climate yeah. controlled. Yeah. It's like really like capitalist weirdo future but and then lando's out there making 56 nights that's what i'm saying i can't believe i didn't get a laugh from tate on the 56 nights joke he's he's just trying to keep a low pro on this one because tate's never heard of star wars um look the that that, like that's the thing they never the worlds were so exciting Mm -hmm. and one of the things that one of the many things that this, this this other trilogy didn't do was kind of honor that right like one of the more interesting things about it was when they finally went, they went to Coruscant and that was like the home of the Empire right and like we're getting so real but it was right like now. super busy and yeah. like okay well that's a thing that's interesting yeah I wanted to ask you this I think maybe I've said this on the podcast so stop me if I did but did I tell you like I wanted to ask you about your Star Wars experience like when you were a kid sure and because for us like the first one came out the year we were born mm-hmm. so. I don't believe we saw that one. No, my mother live. claims that she saw it with me while she was pregnant, but I don't know whether that was like that's, to make me feel like I was also an, a Skywalker. It's an amazing origin myth. That's <laughs> yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, <laughs> you were the midichlorians yeah. in her veins at that moment. Um, so, I guess the first one that we were really like ready to see in the theaters was Jedi. Yeah, that's the one I think I remember seeing in the theaters. And I remember just, but of course, like having the toys and just like losing my mind for Jedi. And of course, not knowing what's good or bad. And that movie is not considered to be like the greatest cinema thing. But I was just like, those trees are tall and those little teddy bears are dope. Like I loved everything about it. Right. I, and, I, my but my the, shit was the backflip off of the uh, prison barge. Oh, no, yeah. I know. And I was like, there's a, there's a mouth in the sand. Like, is that a thing on the beach, by the way? <laughs> no, because if it is... You know that that's probably why I still don't like to ever be outside. But um, this was sort of a—I'm not going to just um, get, take myself off the hook here. But it was definitely a little bit of a jankier era in terms of like what's official and what's not. Because my friend, my best friend, was a member of the Star Wars fan club where you like wrote a letter to someone and they sent you pictures of things. He so that was real. Like he was a member of this club and he got pictures and like little like decoder rings or whatever. But then he also then told me 
that um, he also was given access to like information, like okay. in, inside intel about the movies. And he was like, they're making a fourth one. And I was like, no. When was this? This is 1983. So, Eight, the, so you were six? Yeah. So and this kid's... Or seven. It was, okay. like, so it was basically like six. It was like 84. So it was basically like kindergarten, first grade. It was first grade. So we were still like... By the way, it's not like we stopped being hype about Star Wars because we were in first grade now. No, we're in I know. Grade that was the thing like, is like, like just, just, trends didn't end as fast in, no. that, at that time. So we were still having a good time with that stuff. And he was just like, they're making a fourth one. And I was like, you know, not a seven. So forgive me. But I was also not going on to Wikipedia. Right. And I was like, whoa, what's that? What's that? What's it going to be called? You know, and he was like, um, I think he was like. Like I think he said something like, he uh, like "Stay woke." He's like, "Stay woke." He's like, "No, the force, the force goes to sleep." <laughs> <laughs> he knew that it would be waking up in twenty years, but he was basically like, "Return of the Jedi." He was like, "Return of Return of Sith" or "Return of Return of Vader." Like basically, just something he was clearly lying. To yeah, me. yeah. But I didn't know about lying, you know. And he was like, "And being a member of this club means we might get to be in the movie." And I was like, "Yeah, that's this amazing. definitely part of something very dark." And then he was like. What he basically had me convinced that if I like could choose a color lightsaber, I could be in the movie. And my parents had to like explain to me what lying was, <laughs> and it broke my little heart, you know, because that's how I wanted this to be real. Yeah. But I, in many ways, think that that started, to, you know, it it created a cycle of being disappointed by Star Wars things that certainly was aided by the fact that Phantom Menace opened on my birthday. Oh, yeah, you, were, um, you returned 22, It right? opened on my 22nd birthday, yeah. and we were like, all my college buddies, you're graduating the next week, and we're like, we're going to go see this movie. And that was an important critical, like, moment of a critical awakening. Where your childhood just gets shattered? Well, it's not just that. It was just like, I still, you know, theoretically, I had, like, had a liberal arts education where I learned about, like, the new critics and, like, you know, what novels were good. Sure. But I sat there, and I was, it had Ransom. never occurred to me that this movie would be bad. Yeah. So you find yourself, like, I remember that negotiating that, with yourself. That, I saw it at eight in the morning, and I remember what falling asleep. Because like my dad was like, "You want to go did, to the first screening? I can get did, you in." Did you have trouble staying woke? I did. I fell asleep. <laughs> it was like it was like I think I was like wearing a parka, and like the like the heat was on. And why don't you guys have the Grantland shot shirt? <laughs> <laughs> That's the real Yoda. That's beautiful. Star Wars scholar Bill Simmons. Um, but there was mo- there were moments where like the, that opening of that movie where it's just like oh those are Jedi being Jedi's but wait they're fighting cartoon robots yeah yeah and by the end of it you it was it's, it was a dark th- it was a dark period because you just didn't understand how something like that couldn't have been handled correctly yes so all of that is to say this appears to have been handled correctly which seems like a very cynical and cold way to consider a movie or a piece of artwork or a continuation of this beloved franchise but that's kind of all it needs to be I don't know if I can better what you just said I, I, w- I mean personally I would like to keep comparing different uh, environments well, in Star Wars to different real life well, cities but that's exactly you're exactly right last thing about yeah. it what do you other than like just some some deep Bespin cuts like yeah. what do you want from a Star Wars movie what do you what do you want not, not, not what you may have heard is in this but like what, what would you like to see The thing I am most interested in to see if they pull off is if they can figure out how to make an iconic villain that isn't just a Darth Vader accolade. Yeah. Which is what they kind of are presenting in the commercials. I don't know anything about anything that happens in this movie, but what would they be able to do Mm -hmm. to make a villain as imposing? And just like, you have to understand, like, when we saw Star Wars... Like, even when you saw Star Wars, you didn't know that that was his pops, man. That was, like, very, very upsetting. Yeah. No, but, like, you didn't, when you first Star Wars, you didn't know, like, Darth was evil incarnate. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was, like, a very effective, I mean, there's, like, five villains in in pop culture history that match up with him. Like, and I can't even, like, there's, like, Hannibal Lecter, the Joker. Yeah, but this one was the, this is also when... You know, we we talk about how, especially because of TV and you know, talking about showrunners, like everyone sort of knows story in a different way. Mm-hmm. But this was how everyone learned it. Yeah, like every all this was taken from you know the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell and everything like that. But you know, I'm not just saying this because we were five and six years old, but people weren't reading and talking about that. You yeah. know, this predates the sort of screenwriting culture of save the cat and like third act fixes and all this stuff and tracking emotional arcs. This was what everyone learned from. Yeah. This was the lodestar for that. So I, I guess I'm most interested in that. And there's one more thing that I thought 
you know, J.J. Abrams is a toxic game. And so they were asking him, like, what are some of the influences? And when we were at Grantland, this guy, uh, one of my favorite writers at Grantland, this kid named Sam Donsky, wrote a piece mm-hmm. about when directors say ridiculous influences. Like, when they're mm. like, yeah, you know, it's like John Turtletaub, and he's like, I'm really studying the dramatic era of Woody Allen, the interiors in September. J.J. Um, Abrams has talked about the influence of John Ford, Akira Kurosawa, and uh, um, Terrence Malick okay. on Force Awakens. But... That's crazy, and I, I get it. Like you, to, to be fair, the first two any were influences. Any action movie is you're influenced by John Ford. And but the first two were, in, were the influences for Lucas. Yeah, and he said he identified something very special about, especially the first movie, which there is a lot of like quiet, slower moments. Yes, and pacing is something that most action films and most sci-fi think, think films think about like that early happen. Luke stuff. Yeah, it's real slow, and so pacing is something that these like these films really lose, and so much of like the aunt. You know, the Uncle Ben stuff on Tatooine, like you're saying, and, and just, like, generally building mood and building a feel for a world. And yes. it's, like, cu- quite a while well, before Alec Guinness even shows up. And when he shows up, we don't know who or what he is. Exactly. But let's also think about, there's a reason, this is me taking off the cynicism helmet for a while, which I know it's sort of couture. It looks pretty good on yeah, me. Yeah, it's but, nice. Um, there is a reason why the hero's journey works. There's a reason why screenwriting, like Robert McKee stuff, works. There's a reason why things, you know, in writer's room tend can be smoothed and pointed in the right direction because you can, you t- following those, that, those examples can't fix things, but not following them, you can get screwed up in a, in, a, in a hurry. Yeah. And all great stories of this scale all start small and then go big. Someone's tiny life is transformed, and that's that's you know that's the comic book origin story now too. But it's particularly Star Wars. Luke is living on a backwater planet. He doesn't know anything about his parents, mm-hmm. and he gets ca- not only is he swept up in this intergalactic. Advi- uh, it's almost a, a war in the stars. Yeah, he is the key figure in it. Yeah, and but that's just one hundred and one, right? And that the, with the yeah, second you get, you trilogy, did, out in the desert. Yeah, but what the tri- second trilogy did was it started from the top, from people on the highest levels, and then tried to maintain that. And by the way, the protagonist is also the supervillain. And by the way, what are we rooting for? Right. Are we rooting for a boring tax-collecting empire? I mean, the, the biggest mis- there were two giant mistakes in addition to the thousand other mistakes that Lucas made. And one was the, sca- the, you know, the, the scope. Yeah. You don't, he didn't start small and get big. And two, there was no Han Solo. And it didn't need to literally be Han Solo, but you need someone in these stories being like, what the... F-? Like, you need Michael Pena and Ant-Man, you which do. is you a do. ridiculous side comparison to make, but it's still the same idea. And this movie not only has Harrison Ford as Han Solo, who is the original one of these dudes, you look in the trailers that we have seen, and John Boyega's character seems to be like, what is going on? Yeah, I'm hoping that and, Oscar Isaac has some one-liners. And that's what I was getting to. Yeah. You, you cast a guy who... I mean, I would have cast him as young Han Solo, even though he's not that young, and he's in this movie. But, like... You want Isaac on the on the margins being like, what's up with this guy? To review. Yeah. In on the movie. Yeah. Completely yeah. out on Twitter as an experience. <laughs> I mean, fair. In on Lawrence Kasdan. Larry. Larry Kasdan. Out on George Lucas. I'm just saying. In on Michael Pena and Ant-Man. Can I just say <laughs> one other thing before we revisit that? Yeah. A year ago, you're doing the Kasdan family power rankings. <laughs> Jake's number one. Jake is up there. Jake's yeah. up there. Jake's, you know, he's working on New Girl. He's got, uh, he's got the grinder going. That's going well for him. Larry's an afterthought. Yeah. John Kasdan might be up higher than Larry. This, you talk about, like, dark fathers. Larry just sunned his sons. It's, it's, I would be really salty at Christmas, di- Christmas What is dinner. the Kasdan family? Okay, well, Han- Hanukkah dinner, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I'm in, I'm back in on Twitter because I'm going to want to start hitting up some real estate agents about any Cloud City Dubai condos yes. I can get in and make sure that they have an experiential stereo system to play 56 Nights while I stare at my Lando Calrissian signed letter that I got when I was, you in, know... In the fan club? In the fan club. Uh, also out on fan clubs. So Just generally out on fan clubs. Uh, I think that that pretty accurately sums it up. Because we're not going to have it... We're not going to... We're going to talk about this, but, but you know, we have, we're doing the show now. We're going to have another show next we week. We have a year-end show that's coming next week, but we will not have, like, a, a Star Wars podcast until the new year. It'll be really interesting. Obviously, the movie will still be going gangbusters, and people will be talking about yeah. it, and we look forward to talking about it, but we've often remarked how the cycle is so out of whack that, like, neither of us remember what year Avengers Age of Ultron came out. And it was this year, and we forgot it two weeks after it came out. Yeah. 
Now, is that an, is that a referendum on the movie, which was not that great, or is it a referendum on the, the way we're always on to the next one? So it'll be interesting in January, and I think it benefits the movie, by the way, that it's December and not summer. Yes. Um, and it benefits the movie that they've got two more in the chamber. So I personally am kind of interested not only in how the counter-programming movie Sisters does. <laughs> Shout to Seal Award. You should have gotten a piece of that. <laughs> I'm curious about the expanded Sisters universe. You know what I mean? <laughs> This episode of Channel 33 is also sponsored by Loot Crate. Now you can showcase your geek chic style with Level Up, a monthly mystery apparel subscription from Loot Crate. You can get two different pairs of high-quality socks, one to two fashionable accessories, or a wearable item like a long sleeve shirt or lounge pants. Every month, Loot Crate basically gives you a box of cool stuff related to some interest you have in pop culture. Uh, you can, you know, each month is a theme inspired by all of your favorite pop culture brands, from Star Wars to Doctor Who to Fallout 4, and it often contains high-quality exclusives. So you go to LootCrate.com slash Channel 33, that's LootCrate.com slash CH33 to learn more. Use promo code CH33 to save 10%. This month's theme is Galaxy with Star Wars items. Perfect for the Jedi, Padawan, Rebel, or any serious Star Wars fan in your life. Uh, Just to give you guys kind of like a sense of where we're at, it's Monday night. We are recording this the night of the Fargo finale, so we don't have anything on that. We would love to try and cobble something together for you this week, but we're not sure we're going to be able to. Then we still have to sort of get, we have to dress like Homeland, where there will be the Nick... Yeah. Am I thinking my loot? Am I missing anything? The other thing, people people seem to really want us to talk about Man in the High Castle. Okay, I can try and catch up over that on that over the Christmas break. I'm not I'm not saying you should. Yeah. You should have your vacation. Well, I'm not going to be looking at Twitter, so I have something I need to That's fill true. my time I, doing I just something. want to say like people who really I'm curious. People have been tweeting at us about this and I know you're never looking at Twitter again, so I've <laughs> already just dug myself into a giant <laughs> hole. But I'm I am legitimately curious. Are people asking us because they're like this is that real this is really stay woke like this is the show you need in your life or are they like i watch that and is that good i want chris and andy to tell me yeah what maybe they think. there's just stuff that ha- i mean let's check it out i'm I'm always interested in alternative histories that's why i love the fiction of newt gingrich <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that is why i mean i wondered for a while but when you put it like that isn't that one of those things that it's like it's like in 95, it was, like, acceptable for, like, a major leader of America to yeah. be like, what if the South had won the Civil War? Yeah. It's not a novel. Just, and it was just like, all right. No, but now no- it's like... A novel, question mark? I guess it's mark? actually not that out of question when you think about, like, everything that's going on well, these days. This is... Our man, Bill O'Reilly... He's, he just writes books called Killing... And What's then your... Like, if you, let me see. It's like I, Killing Reagan, Killing whatever. It's like... I write a 100K check to Andy Greenwald Industries right now. What's your historical, like, your reimagining of a historical moment? Wow. God, you put me on the spot here. Oh, you got to narrow it down a little bit. Is it is it political? Is it... No, um, I mean, it could be anything. It could be, like, what if, like, what if Nixon didn't get caught? It could be, uh... It could wow. be, like, what if John Kerry had won? Wow. What what an amazing moment that would have been. What a weird... <laughs> like, that's just weird. Like, look, I voted for that dude, but wouldn't that have been weird if that guy was our president? <laughs> It's true. Like, I would have been really, I would have been happy. Yeah. Because I didn't like the other guy, but that's so, that guy wasn't going to, like, if you look back on presidential elections, it's like super, we're not going to get super political. No, but it is like the Mondale Diaries. That's what I'm saying. It's It's like, like, are we really living in that Mondale world? In (laughs) hindsight, you look at like people and they were like, yeah, it's the the super liberal governor of Massachusetts (laughs) who's like maybe five foot four. Like, that's our guy. That's our guy. It's like, it's not really going to be your guy. Yeah, we really did a lot better with a... No, I'm not saying the alternative was better. It's just like there. How many people? How many presidential candidates in like retrospectively? Like, are people still writing for Adlai Stevenson? Um, that's that's the book I want to write. Yeah, like, I mean, like, the movie I the, do. the Woody Allen New York Review of Book Squad is. Yeah, but like, do you think at some point they were like, Adlai probably doesn't, not. Adlai yeah. doesn't have it. Yeah, yeah. He's just not that dude. <laughs> like, who is that dude? You know I don't what know. I mean? Yeah, this is an interesting thing. Well, what's yours? You put that. You put that on me. I don't have a good answer. I, I say. Mean, I mean, I, I would. I would be really if interested in. And in, in Carrie becomes president. <laughs> Just like what our two thousand four, two thousand five would have been like. I would, look. That was a dark time. For Those me. were dark years. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what would mine be? If only we had had a president that spoke fluent French during those years, everything would have been different. I don't know. I don't know what mine would have been. I mean, I feel like, come, you know, with with what has interested us. What traditionally, if I would do? I would do. I would do my version of turn. 
<laughs> um, and what if America's first spies Washington failed? spies? Yeah, Washington spy, spies failed. What if? Wouldn't you want to do like what if Biggie had not died? Like music ones. Oh, that's a good one. Like just in general, I would I would be interested in alt universe fiction of like John Lennon isn't killed, um, Biggie isn't killed, Tupac. Well, so isn't like, killed. do you think John Lennon is playing like Twenty Nights at the Garden and playing like his badly eighty stuff? Yes. I mean, do you, at what point do he and McCartney collaborate again? Because right. they would have. Oh, right. Um, well, how, how early into the run of Coachella before they play? Oh, exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the truth We're is... We're really cynical about John Lennon. No, but... The, 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 For a bunch of guys who just spent 25 minutes being like, Star Wars! <laughs> now you know. We're like, yeah, John Lennon, what a... That's <laughs> what a bullshit. Yeah. What, what, what a drip. <laughs> that guy would have sold out at the first opportunity. That's actually a bad example because there are very few. The, the thing with with musicians who who passed away too soon, you want them to live because you want people to be alive. Yeah, that is awful. That's true. But, but the legends are all different. Like the legend of like of Kurt Cobain is different if he survives and survives long enough to make something that people don't love. And that's I think it would have been hilarious if Dylan never got electric. And we just, like, we're still listening to Dave Van Rock. That's the story. The Coen brothers would have been And it was, like, year 65 of the folk music revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Dudes were like, I have a slight variation on... uh, Could you imagine that if we did our podcast, but it was just the sound of fingers, like, just squeaking slightly on fretboards? Just tuning. (laughs) Just constantly... Ding, ding, What if four years of the show, we were just constantly tuning, and at one point, we were going to drop knowledge? By the way, this is what happens when I just say, hey, so we haven't watched this show. Yeah. Deep Adley Stevenson cuts. Um, I'm going to come back to that question. That was a good one. There is but, one show that is, that is capturing the imagination of, of, of some people out there that we have yeah. been keeping up on, and yeah. that's been Transparent, which I've watched four episodes. I think you've watched five. five you six, watched five a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and it has been almost universally adored. It is. It's worthy of it. Um, it's amazing. I'm trying to phrase this question in the way that it, it, it does is like I I really love this show, so I'm not trying to be like here's my hot take about but transparent. What would happen if Barry Goldwater yeah <laughs> had won the election? <laughs> Just imagine if Miles Davis walked up to Gabby Hoffman and turned his back on her and played the trumpet. <laughs> Mondale's America. Um, so one of the things I feel like Transparent's a fairly confrontational show in a great way. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that's being confrontational about this season is the... Weimar Germany? Unlikeability or likability of the characters. Oh, yeah. I'm, I have a lot to say about this. Yeah. And there are a lot of shows. So I guess what I want to talk about is a show like Girls comes on. And the people on Girls are ridiculed for being self-involved. Yeah. Uh, privileged. Um, well, like... Uh, you know, basically, like you yeah, know, yeah. like have have yeah. money even if they don't have jobs. Like right. they're never really in danger. Yep. Um, all this stuff and like so, people's criticism of girls is about that. Now I'm not; they're not the same show, and I'm not trying to compare them. And I'm saying that I think Transparent is doing something truly remarkable. Yep. But I'm curious as to why the the like the the way that we talk about yep. some TV shows doesn't apply to Transparent. Here's why. I, I, I get frustrated when people are like, this show is about unlikable people. I think the, the, the towering... About ach- any show or transparent? Transparent. I think who the, says that? A lot of people. Oh. People, especially people who don't... Like, like when the show premiered on Facebook, like someone who I think generally has good taste, that I think, you know, who, who writes about culture was just like, um, can't, just can't get with it because he finds these people so loathsome. Like, which one is the most loathsome? Oh, really? And my feeling about this is... <laughs> I don't look at Facebook either. <laughs> here's what I think. You, you, you might get some deep casting cuts. <laughs> that dude can't shut up. Um, I think that the true achievement of this show, and I think that there have been so many important and, and, and affecting things written about its, about its politics, about its, uh, the female gaze and the directorial mm-hmm. view of the show, I think it's totally unique in so many storytelling ways um, that are worthy of discussion. But what I am truly constantly moved by is that Jill Soloway, who created it and directs a lot of it, is able to find moments of true beauty in characters' lives, characters who she is also not afraid of showing at their worst. Yeah. To be able to do both is incredibly unique. It is not, and and I think that that is a difference between Transparent and Girls, is the depth of its compassion. Um, yeah, I was there, talking there, about never the, been... the accomplishments because I think that they're different. No, they're I was different. more what I mean talking is... about like the way that we interface with television I, but, but right I, now. It tends to really be about likability. It's and personal. Yeah, but what I mean is we've never been given like like on girls, for example. Like Jessa has moments of being 
awful, you know, quote unquote, or she behaves poorly or she behaves in ways that society has issues, takes issue with selfishly is the best word for it. But I don't know if we've ever been given that much time to delve into the flip side of it. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a that's a choice. And, you know, shows don't need to give us bonbons or whatever. But every character on Transparent can simultaneously be the worst and the best. And to be perched on that line as a viewer is exhilarating and rare. Yeah. Where at any moment someone can do something and you're like, oh, God, don't do that. Because we've, we, we've you know, we've seen them at their best. And mm-hmm. I think that all, all writers fall in love with their characters. And that's essential. You have to love your characters. You can't dislike them. You can't sell them out. But that can also be a double-edged sword where you want to protect them and coddle them. And I can't get over how Jill Soloway is able to do this so that we can... So that when um, Mora, you know, uh, Jeffrey Tambor's character, early on, and we won't do many spoilers, but the relationship between, between that character and Judith Light's character, mm-hmm. her ex-wife, basically, how that has been deepened and complicated this season. When Mora does something that is essentially turning her back on Judith Light's character, yeah. in a way, early on, and the anguish that comes from oh, Judith Light's character is it's heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. Yeah. But we have 360-degree viewpoint of this Absolutely. emotionally. yeah. And that is just as dazzling as almost anything else, you know? The, uh, like, it's a really minor moment, but the stuff with Tammy, which I think could have been played very differently, where she's a kind of secondary cat character, could have very easily basically been written out of the show after one episode of the second season. Yes. And even though she has so far in the ones I've seen has not been given, like, a real platform, like, in terms of, like, what's been going on with Tammy? Obviously, like, she's not doing well. The second time she shows up at the party... Yeah, the pool party. Um, ...is incredible. Like, you know, and it's, like, so painful to watch that. And it's, she's so articulate about what is going on, but it, not in an overwritten way where she's just like, I am your... I am the consequence of your of your actions. Yeah. It, I am the... Like, this is... I am, like, in pain, you know? It, there are shows about... You know, the last 10 years, most of the TV shows have been about people doing extreme things, whether it's being in the mob or, you know, in writing ads for Coca-Cola, whatever the extremity yeah. is. This show is about the extremity of emotion, and it basically suggests a world, and this world is highly specific to a, you know, this is also another thing that makes it amazing, that I find it somehow able to be universal despite being deeply rooted in the Jewish American experience, sure. particularly of a certain economic level, and I guess, you know, it's very specific in some ways to different sides of Los Angeles but um, the extremity of the show that I find like really moving and really almost overwhelming is that it suggests that life is extreme of emotions constantly Mm -hmm. and that we are all kind of exposed nerves who are the sum total of everything that's ever happened to us fair or unfair and how does literally the the message of the show to me is often how does anyone do anything right and it does so in a way also we haven't really talked about this but it breaks down all convention and not just in terms of um, storytelling convention and not just in terms of societal convention like we can't crash someone's party we can't bear our soul to someone in the way that some of these characters do mm-hmm. it shatters all convention in terms of who or what we can or can't love yeah I mean that's and all, or who or we can or can't be can't be because that's what like they're talking about in the in the, the spa in the beginning of episode four yeah which is you know I mean they're sitting in this pool and it's two sisters basically discussing whether or not like sexuality is a uh, sexual orientation is like a fixed construct or not and that's what this show is sort of about for me it's about collision and i don't think sometimes i i have to admit like it's it's so good and it's so sophisticated that sometimes i don't feel emotionally prepared for it i know because like you know take episode four it's this show is about collision so it's like it's about somebody basically deciding that they're gonna break the heart of someone else again to be truly who they are supposed to be in their minds and in their hearts, right? Yeah. And they've done something very, very cruel, but you kind of understand it. And then Mora is in this white, gleaming white Mercedes Benz. Oh, yeah. Honking her horn to be let out of this gated condo community. And it is sort of like the picture of of upper middle class bourgeois. Mm-hmm. And yet you cannot help but feel for this person. Mm-hmm. You can't help but feel as as trapped as they probably feel like at that yeah. moment and it it's it's really remarkable i mean we, i've been talking about this all day because i did a, a podcast earlier today about hateful eight that's coming out closer to christmas when the movie comes out but hateful eight's another situation movie completely different 
you know, vocabulary and palette than transparent. But it's another movie that's going to make people just really be like really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and really have to think about, you know, what, what level they need to identify with someone or like someone or approve of their behavior to like enjoy the show. And here's the other point about this. And I know this, this is my hobby horse and I talk about this a lot, but this came up naturally in conversation we had, you and I had yesterday, um, which would, which is, it's, essential that the show is a half hour in so many ways one being you simply in in the same way that like martinis are better when they're made in classic martini glasses and not fish bowls sure it's potent and it's mixed correctly and you could not spend more time than you know in each specific episode you simply couldn't It, it it's it's too strong but two it becomes pleasurable to watch because, you know, you can settle in and you can feel a sense of accomplishment having watched a half hour. Mm-hmm. You can watch two and there, there's enough differentiation between two episodes that it doesn't feel overwhelming. Um, and it's just the experience of, in this case, it is kind of binging, is just simply more pleasurable, I think, and more fun and more surprising because of the length. I think even the, some of the stuff that happens... What, you know, one of the complaints I've had, I think we've talked about with the Nick, is that it had a certain second season TV itis, right, where it's like all the characters are off doing their own S- B, C, and D plots, service the different and they're not and really plots. like they're the the first season of Nick felt like everything was happening in the same room, and mm-hmm. it was all about Thackeray, and it was like this driving thing. And the first season of Transparent was obviously about Mora, and it was about this transition that was happening. Um, this season seems like you know there's just these disparate storylines that are happening and there's some interaction and there's some impact that the family members have but it's an adjustment to get used to like we're not ha- we're not five characters worrying about one thing the, the inciting incident yeah there's not an inciting incident as much i mean that you know josh has colton and you know like there's all sort of amy landucker's character is going through this sort of midlife crisis and um i don't know it's a remarkable a remarkable show i hope my f- opening question my my opening question was really just a way to to think about it as much as it was you know i I, yeah. I, have, I have nothing bad to say about this show i mean it's it's truly one of like the, were, the greatest things on tv were you, were you surprised to see your man jason Mantukas show up it, it, almost do it going full rafi from the league i know he was there, like getting into the puss i there, was like wow he definitely said that <laughs> yeah. and there was a moment when he showed up and i'm like i i like that guy a lot he's super funny i think he's a he's also an underrated like performer and actor yeah and though, like the way people talk about him, IRL, is that he's like a very, very talented, like very warm. Like people are very fond of him that uh-huh. I've spoken to. And also, by the way, he dates Connie Britton, right? Yeah, which he is was just, dating. Just, her. I don't know if he still I know is. we're going to do the the wall for the year, but he should be on the permanent wall forever. <laughs> but I kind of thought I was like, oh, okay, here's another example of Jill Soloway being like. I'm gonna take someone you thought you knew, like Rob Hubel, you know, and human giant, like this, like incredibly, like kind and like nuanced thing. Person. Yeah. He's essentially still doing the. He's wonderful. He's at the paintball course right he's now. Still, yeah, he's still in the league. That's it's, great. That was sort of funny too. All right, well, let's wrap it up there. We've got another podcast coming next week. That's going to be basically our year in review pod. Yeah, and I think that maybe when we get back to things in January, we should also um, because everything we just said about transparent was kind of spoiler free. We could. You know, close the book on a bunch of these shows we've mm-hmm. watched this year, yeah. having finished them, and give people the correct spoiler warnings and stuff about them. Sure. Okay, man. Talk to you soon. Oh, that's the end of the pod? Mm-hmm. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> I thought we would say a couple more things. About what? Oh, great job, Bransky. <laughs> <laughs> I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. now. <laughs>